This is Dear Analyst, episode number 121, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about the controversy surrounding famous author and behavioral economist Dan O'Reilly about his uh, behavioral nudge experiment where he collects data from auto insurance companies, one specific auto insurance company, and he claims that nudges help people be more honest in um, reporting data. And it turns out the Excel file he used might have been tampered with by him, by someone from his lab. And at the end of the day, the results from the Excel file um, point in a certain direction. And he talks about this, uh, his takeaways in various TED Talks and speeches and also in his books. And so this episode dives into what went wrong with that Excel file and how it was fabricated and tampered with in order to skew the results a certain way. And just to back up a little bit, uh, a little some background about myself, I one of my favorite classes when I had to fulfill my finance major back in college was behavioral finance. And the main textbook was this book called Inefficient Markets. And it was all talking about how like the efficient market hypothesis is not really, does not really hold true in, in real life. Surprise, surprise. People are not actually rational when it comes to maximizing, you know, the economic good of an asset. And this class was all about how you can potentially, you know, get an edge if you can understand behavioral, the behavioral side of finance. And so during the financial crisis, Dan O'Reilly published this book called Predictably Irrational, and it got a ton of great reviews. It was all about how humans, surprise, surprise, are not actually rational beings. It, we go, humans go against traditional economic theorems and you know, I really enjoyed the book because it kind of talked all about how we make mistakes and we are we have emotions, which on the surface kind of makes sense, right? And so this book kind of caught storm in behavioral scientist circles, but it turns out this book was kind of like a bit of a farce. And in this New York article, the author talks about it as like an, an airport book classic because it really is one of those easy reads and has really simple bite-sized takeaways. But as it turns out, beneath the surface, the data that Dan O'Reilly used was flawed. And O'Reilly actually partially admits to the fraud. And this episode is just going to dive into how he potentially fabricated the results from the experiment. So there are many different episodes and podcasts that have talked about this controversy already. The first time I heard about it was this Planet Money episode called Did Two Honesty Researchers Fabricate Their Data? The reason why it's two researchers is because Dan O'Reilly had a partner in, for his research studies named Francesca Gino. And so they, they were doing research about honesty and they ended up being dishonest about their data, which is kind of interesting. So that was the first episode. I think it came out in July of this year. And then... There was another New Yorker article that came out, I think just last month, that really do dives deep into the story behind O'Reilly, you know, his his fame, his lab, his colleagues, the back and forth emails. So there's a lot more drama and, and narrative in that New York article, which I'm not really going to get into 
in in this episode. The first person apparently to blow the whistle on Dan O'Reilly's findings was Professor Michael Sanders, who is also a behavioral scientist. And he, I think he works for, he's a professor at some university in London, I believe, or in, in the UK. But he essentially remembered that the nudge experiments that Dan O'Reilly did, he wanted to apply those same uh, takeaways to the Guatemalan government. And apparently the Guatemalan government was trying to find ways to collect more taxes from businesses in the country because the businesses were self-reporting income and they were probably under-reporting. And so Professor Sanders had this idea of like on the tax form, if you make businesses sign like an honesty declaration at the top of the form, they would more likely put more accurate and report proper business income on the tax form. And it turns out that the experiment didn't actually result in any noticeable change in the reported income. I have a quote about the actual study that Professor Sanders does in the show notes, so you can read that if you want. But yeah, so that happened. I think Professor Sanders kind of talked about this in 2015 when he first started doing this experiment. So we have this TED Talk. Oh, sorry, we have this Planet Money podcast. There's this New York article. And there's also this YouTuber, I think his name is called Quant. He's an undergraduate student. I'm guessing he studies behavioral economy or something, or he's, he wants to get into this kind of stuff. He has one video and it's called the fall of a superstar psychologist. And it talks basically about Dan O'Reilly's rise to fame. And then also about the data irregularities in the Excel file that was used for his auto insurance experiment. And so you can watch that video. It's 10 minutes long, but it has like over a million views. And it's like this, this student's only video. And I guess he really wanted to tell that story about Dan O'Reilly, but I would really highly recommend reading the New York article by Gideon Lewis Krauss that talks about the whole story and background of O'Reilly and how he kind of rose to fame and how he's kind of falling from fame given this data controversy. So again, I'm going to focus purely on the data side of things in this episode. And most of my analysis actually comes from this blog called Data Colada. Um, Data Colada is a blog that, and it's, it's run by these three, I think, professors and behavioral scientists, Yuri Sim Simonson, Le Leif Nelson, and Joe Simmons. And they, the post basically talks about how O'Reilly potentially did p-hacking or just massaging the numbers, if you will, to sh get the results that he wanted to, to say in his books and in his TED Talks. So the show notes has screenshots of all the of the Excel file, you can download the Excel file too. It's made public because I think the paper paper that O'Reilly published first came out in 2012. And then in 2020, his authors and some other scientists were trying to replicate his experiments. And in, in the process, they published the full Excel file that O'Reilly used for his original study in 2012. And so I show screenshots of the of the study, of the file in the show notes. So the, the main file we're going to look at is this raw driving data set. And it basically has odometer readings from different cars and insurance policies. So each column represents like one car's odometer's readings at one point in the past. And then also the odometer readings for that same car at one point in the future after the person that drove the car was given a form saying, at the top of the form, it said, please sign this 
honesty declaration saying you're going to be honest and, you know, accurate in your reporting of your mileage. And then the idea is that after they check off that box and they sign that declaration, they would properly report their mileage um, for the purposes of insurance, because insurance companies, they want to make sure they have their accurate numbers and people may be, uh, want to underreport because it might adjust their insurance policies or insurance premiums. So the Excel file has, uh, every row is an insurance policy, auto insurance policy, and the policy can contain one to four cars in the policy. And so one column, again, if we look at one car, one car will have two columns of data associated with it. One column is the odometer reading before the experiment, and then the odometer reading after the driver had to take that, sign that form and report their mileage. So the first irregularity, and this already right off the bat makes this data super suspect, <clears throat> is that the data is a uniform distribution versus a normal distribution of miles driven. And what that means is the average number of miles driven, I think this is the US number, is around 13,000 miles per year. You would imagine that if you have a data set of 1,000 people, most people would have something around 13,000 miles. And then you have a few people who are like, you know, 500, 1,000 at the extreme low end. At the extreme high end, you might have people in the 50,000, 100,000 mile range. So a normal bell curve, if you will. The problem with this data set right off the bat is that all the data, there is no distribution. It's uniform. So there's just as many people reporting driving like 10 miles per year as compared to people driving 50,000 50, miles per year. And so the frequency of these numbers is essentially flat. So that's already a really big red flag with the Excel file that was used to, that O'Reilly used to take, generate his takeaways. The numbers also strangely stop at 50,000 miles. Apparently no one in the data set, <clears throat> excuse me, no one in the data set drove past 50,000 miles per year. So that means they must have filtered out everyone on the extreme end, which is anyone that tends to drive a lot in, on a given, in a given year. And so <clears throat> there's a uniform distribution. Everyone's kind of, someone must have come in and just deleted all the extreme ends of the data so that everyone, there's the same number of frequency of people driving little miles to the average miles to the most miles. So that's irregularity, irregularity number one. Irregular, irregularity number two is that the mileage reported, the, the odometer reading that people reported supposedly after they were shown the form, the honesty declaration form, those numbers were not rounded. So just thinking some common sense here before we dive into this data irregularity, if you're asked to report the mileage on your odometer, and you're asked to kind of put it on a form, maybe you have to rec recall it from the last time you saw your odometer, would you remember the exact number down to the single, the singles place, the specific number, like 50,231? Chances are no, you'd probably just round the number, this relatively big number to the nearest hundredth or nearest hundreds or thousands place, 50,200, 60,000, 32,000. And that's why there are some irregularities with the data because after the number of four people, the number, the mileage that people reported after they signed the honesty declaration were all surprisingly very accurate down to the single numbers place. 
And this leads at least data, coll data collata, which I agree with, is that the second reading, after people were signed, signed the form, they just use a random number generator using the rand between function in Excel to generate a random, random number between zero and 50,000. And the reason why that this is likely the case is because rand between function in Excel does not round numbers to the nearest hundreds, hundreds or thousands place. Which also just as an aside, it's such a lazy, if O'Reilly or his um, lab fabricated this data, it's such a lazy kind of mistake because you can easily use the round function in conjunction with the ram between function to round the number to the nearest hundreds or thousands place. Furthermore, the first reading is rounded. So that proves that this reading is probably accurate in that there are numbers like 94,000, 80,000, 54,000. And so there's a chart here I show where there is rounding in the baseline mileage, but no rounding in the updated mileage, which is what people reported after <clears throat> they signed the form. So that's already another big irregularity about data. Irregularity number three, and this is probably the most visual irregularity, is that there are two fonts randomly used throughout the Excel file. One font is Calibri, which is the default font in Excel, and the other font is Cambria. It makes you wonder, did someone just like copy and paste the data from one file into the other and they forgot to change the font? Or did someone select half the data and change it to Cambria, but then left the original half, the other half in Calibri? We don't know. But the data collata, data collata team also thinks that the RAM between function was used again to generate a number between zero and 1000, and it was added to the original numbers in Calibri. So just to recap what this process of data fabrication allegedly looks like. There are 13,000 baseline car ratings that are composed of Calibri and Cambria font. So there's half and half, which is already a red flag. 6,500 quote unquote accurate observations are in the Calibri font. So these are the numbers that are more rounded and seem like accurate data from actual drivers. The <clears throat> 6,500 new observations were fabricated and were left in Cambria font. Now, in order to mask this duplication, a random number between 0 and 1,000 was added to the original number in Calibri. And so that's why the fabricated numbers are in this Cambria font. And the reason why this is most likely the case is because if you compare the numbers between the Calibri and Cambria fonts for specific rows, they're only like less than a thousand apart. And this happens multiple times. There's a pattern of two numbers in different, in different rows and different fonts being just under a thousand miles apart. So that's already very fishy that they're so close together. And again, the O'Reilly and his lab probably use Ram between to just make it look like these were accurate reporting numbers from people, but in reality, they just added a RAM number between zero and 1000 to the quote unquote original reading in mileage. Again, look at the screenshot of the table in the show notes to see what this looks like for irregular, irregularity number three. And just to put the cherry on top, the numbers in Cambria are also not rounded, which further adds the evidence that this number 
was indeed fabricated using the randBetween function because randBetween, again, does not round numbers to any one hundredths or thousands place unless you use the round function in conjunction with randBetween. So that kind of shows the three irregularities. These are super glaring irregularities. They're not even like that hard to miss if you just do a cursory analysis of the data. And there's only 13,000 rows of data too, so it's not too hard to sift through and start seeing what's wrong with the data. Again, the biggest thing you see right off the bat is that there's different fonts in the Excel file. And when Data Colada sent this file and their analysis, you can read their blog post too, I posted in the show notes. When they sent this file to Dan, O'Reilly actually admits to the fact that there are errors. And he says something along the lines of, oh, next time I have to check my data better. But he even kind of admits that the data was fabricated, but he doesn't take full blame or guilt for doing the actual fabrication. He claims that the auto insurance company might have given him faulty data. And so this begs the question, why did why did Ariely allegedly fabricate numbers? Fame, notoriety, consulting gigs, all his TED Talks. I mean, he even got paid by the Ministry of Finance in Israel, I think, a few million dollars to do some research on traffic congestion in in the in Israel. And apparently that didn't result in any meaningful kind of solution, I think, for the traffic in the country. And yeah, he simply just tried to skew the data to tell the narrative and story that he wanted to tell. There's this notion that maybe someone at the auto insurance company was trying to I don't know, like somehow tarnished O'Reilly's career because he, this person might have known that somewhere down the line, people would discover this Excel file and this regularity. So he, this person might have just, you know, fabricated the data himself or herself. And then O'Reilly just kind of took the data and didn't really analyze it himself that much, which again, I think is very, very suspect because you are counting on your TED Talks, your your professional career, your books based on 13,000 rows of data. You're not going to even like try to proofread and try to look at the data yourself a little bit just to see if it looks kind of fishy. And when he's confronted about this, O'Reilly, about all the irregularities and about kind of like the, also his like, you know, faulty experiment methods, O'Reilly does a lot of, a lot of similar things as what Elizabeth Holmes does in Theranos, the Theranos situation. And he just says, I don't recall, I don't remember this happening or that happening, which again, as someone who is a scientist and is close to numbers, you would expect them to know deeply the numbers and analysis behind the data they use for their experiments. Think back to any project that you've run that involves a lot of data, a lot of charts, a lot of deep work. You probably remember every single nuance about that data set, about the irregularities, about the takeaways about the transformations you had to do. And it's hard to sometimes detach from that in the weed stuff and try to tell the bigger story and narrative. I think in O'Reilly's case, he just focused on the narrative and maybe didn't focus that much time, or it looks like he didn't focus that much time at all on the actual data side, which is the most important side as you know, this podcast is, is all about. And I've spoken a lot about different Excel mistakes that people have made in the past on this on this podcast. I've talked about, I'll link to this in the show notes, about the $6.2 billion loss at JPMorgan Chase that a trader used for 
doing some Excel error. There, Enron had a bunch of spreadsheet errors as well that led to their downfall. Um, there was a a DCF spreadsheet error that led to Tesla um, not properly evaluating an acquisition and many others. And in this, in these cases, the driver, the Excel analyst, the trader, whoever, simply just misused the instrument. And I think I talk about Hanlon's razor where you're just kind of like, you're just being stupid. You just kind of didn't know what you're doing. And the ripple effect is that it impacts everything downstream, potentially losing billions of dollars of data, oh, sorry, billions of dollars of money as, the, as with the case with JP Morgan. And in this case though, O'Reilly and his team simply fabricated the data. And so there's no amount of Excel function or formulas or auditing or controls that could prevent you from data drudging to this magnitude. And the only thing I can say is that, you know, it's, there's a whole world of academia where you have to publish or perish. But if you do publish something that's interesting and it leads to TED Talks and speeches and consulting gigs, you might see the kind of financial payoff if you're able to tell a story that seems data-driven that can result in this type of fame and also financial payoff. And so in terms of blowing the whistle on O'Reilly, I talked about how Professor Sanders, Michael Sanders, was probably the first person to kind of show that his O'Reilly's results were kind of fishy. Data Colada, their blog post really opened the door because they published all the original data files. They did this detailed analysis, which I talked about in this episode. And Data Colada kind of reminds me of the European spreadsheet risks interest group, Eurisprig. Their group of, in, group of individuals who just document Excel errors and hope that others will learn from these mistakes. And Data Colada, they do similar things where they try to document these, they basically try to show that a lot of these famous researchers and scientists are not properly analyzing data correctly or even fabricating data, in this case with O'Reilly. And I also want to say that even though Data Colada seems like the hero in this case, I don't want to just say these the guys behind the the blog are just oh are just you know are saints. Um, it's hard to evaluate the true intentions of a lot of these people. And the New York article actually talks a lot about this. It's easy to point fingers as easy to point fingers at O'Reilly and say he was wrong. He committed spread, spreadsheet fraud for his own personal gain. But Data Colada, they also had a recent Wall Street Journal article published about them, talking about how they're becoming popular at uncovering the data irregularities behind famous research papers. And so one could argue maybe they're just also trying to get their own kind of time to shine in the sun and they might get more consulting gigs thrown out their way based on their ability to take down some of these high profile scientists and researchers. I don't know. Kind of reminds me of Hindenburg Research a couple of years ago when they came out with that hit piece against Nikola, Nikola the electric car company, which ended up leading to the resignation of the CEO, if you recall, because that hit piece was so damaging. And not only did um, did Hindenburg Research uh, stand to benefit from the short selling of Nikola's stock, but they also probably got a lot more inbound interest from um, you know, funds that are looking for their investment research services, or maybe from really kind of passionate people who wanted to take down certain CEOs of other companies and want to hire Hindenburg Research to create reports that would eventually take down a company and their CEO. 
And I'll wrap this episode with this and that I talk sometimes about open source on this podcast as well. And I think open source, again, it's one of the reasons why I got into software. It, you know, the whole freaking internet runs on open source. And I think the same values in open source could be applied to the data that's used for these research papers and for these authors, because then you can investigate how, what the data actually is and call out the bullshit before it becomes, before these people become famous and all that stuff. And hopefully you can save people from an egg on their face from like doing improper analysis. And I really like how Data Colada, they ended their blog post about O'Reilly with this to say about how data should be more open. They say, there will, ne there will never be a perfect solution, but there is an obvious step to take. Data should be posted. The fabrication in this paper was discovered because the data were posted. If more data were posted, fraud would be easier to catch. And if fraud is easier to catch, some potential fraudsters may be more reluctant to do it. Other disciplines are already doing this. For example, many top economics journals require authors to post their raw data. There is really no excuse. All of our journals should require data posting. Until that day comes, all of us have a role to play. As authors and co-authors, we should always make all of our data publicly available. And as editors and reviewers, we can ask for data during the review process or turn down requests to review papers that do not make their data available. A field that ignores the problem of fraud or pretends that it does not exist risks losing its credibility, and deservedly so. It's a great way to end this analysis that Data Collada, Data Collada did on O'Reilly. And I think the key takeaway for, for you all is, well, number one, look at the data and make sure it doesn't look fishy. And uh, number two, make your data open and transparent, whether it's within your own company or on the internet, if you're doing something more public, so that people can poke holes and give you a fair review. In the second half of this episode, I'm doing something I haven't done in a while, which is mention other blog posts and episodes I found interesting in the recent, recent few weeks. And the Data, Visual, Data Visualization Society recently published their 2022 State of the Industry Report. And they asked which tools people use the most in their day-to-day -day data, data analysis. Surprise, surprise, guess what was number one? Excel. Followed by Tableau, and then interestingly, PowerPoint. I linked to the, the report in the show notes, and also a chart from someone who did some really cool visualization of the tools people use most as reported in this state of the industry report. So if you are thinking about what tools to use for your current job or for your future jobs, consider Excel, Tableau, or PowerPoint. Further, further, down, the, further down the list, there's Power BI, R, Google Sheets, but Excel stills, stills reign supreme. Thank mm -hmm. you.